Welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness, discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. I'm Emily Hamill, an international five-star level eventer, dedicated practitioner of yoga, Pilates, and meditation, personal development enthusiast, and plant-strong athlete, and I'm here recording this in beautiful Aiken, South Carolina. And I'm Tyler Helt, a semi-retired professional five-star groom and doctor of sport and performance psychology, a lifelong learner and adventure seeker, a gym owner, and blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, recording in Chester County, Pennsylvania, where it's actually pretty sunny here, too. So we're uh, we're getting spoiled with some early signs of spring. Oh, good. That's great. Have you guys uh, started to get to mud season yet up there? Um, honestly, obviously I was in Florida last week, so I was like down there, but it ha- it hasn't really been that bad. It was a little rainy yesterday, but like the sun, it's getting like sunny into the 60s every day. So even when it rains, like it's drying up and I mean, we didn't even get any snow this year, like at all. I think we got maybe an inch once. Yeah, so, so pretty easy, um, easy winter up there. Yeah, so fingers crossed it stays good and and the mud stays away as well. Yeah, because that's a real issue in Pennsylvania, (laughs) mud season. But Absolutely. Anyway, we'd like to welcome you or welcome you back to the whole Equestrian Podcast. As we said in our intro, our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. And we do this by having conversations about being more well-rounded individuals via our pillars, mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. We release one main episode a month, but have also had some exciting guests on the show, so make sure to check those out. And this month's episode, we are going to talk about finding the balance of mental, physical, and technical aspects in sport. Um, I think it applies to any sport, but obviously we're going to talk mostly about equestrian athletes. And so for this month's episode, we're going to kind of... uh, do an abridged version of our pillars and kind of just have a more exploratory conversation. It's something that I've been thinking about and conceptualizing a lot. And I think when I have a thought about sports psychology or sports, it's always fun to get together with Emily and talk about them because she is such a high level athlete. So sort of getting the, you know, my perspective as someone that studies sport and performance psychology against someone that is going the highest level in the equestrian industry. Um, And we'll kind of just go from there and see how it goes. But before we do that, as always, we're going to touch base on our goals and some book recommendations. So Emily, I think you've got lots of really exciting stuff to talk about in terms of your goals. Uh, I'm going to let you take it away and, and give the big news. Okay. I do definitely have some exciting things but I wanted to circle back uh, about the guest episodes that we've had. Funny story, and I don't even think I told you this yet, Tyler, but uh, Sarah Lilly, who was uh, one of our guests pretty recently, Mm -hmm. um, she was in Aiken and she reached out, and so we actually got together um, while she was here. So that was really fun. But uh, just a little plug for Sarah and um, go back and listen to her episode about EFT um, and tapping. She's an amazing and interesting person. So I just wanted to that, to throw that in there. That was such a fun episode. Did you do any uh, tapping with her in person or were you more focused on socialization? It, yeah, we were just socializing. Yeah. And um, I showed her around the new farm, which is the big news that I I had to share with everyone. So um, as you know, my word of the year, or maybe you don't know, but it it is create. And one of the biggest things was creating like a new barn environment and finding a more permanent place to run my business out of. And it just so happens that this farm that I've always loved in Aiken was on the market. And um, so thanks to uh, my amazing boyfriend and now business partner, we are purchasing this farm. We close on April 6th. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited. It literally has everything I could possibly want to train the horses. And 
I'm excited to open it to other professionals. It's set up to rent dry stalls. There's like several different barns. So my plan is to have, you know, my horses in the main barn, which is a nine stall barn, and then rent out the other barns and just kind of have a community facility where we're all working towards, you know, being the best that we can be and having a great facility to train out of. And it's such a beautiful farm too. And as much as I am sad to see you go and not be in the same state as me again, um, I absolutely love that farm and I'm so excited for you. Um, and to have cross country right in your backyard, like I think that's really going to level up, um, like your young horses and stuff, like just being able to like train, like you got a young horse and you can take it out over a cross country fence, like every day after you, you know, do whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. That really like helps them come along for sure. Yeah. It's, you can train horses from babies all the way up to, you know, five-star level. It's pretty crazy that now I'm going to have that in my backyard. So I will make sure to share some pictures and, uh, keep you guys posted. But yes, that's the big, big thing that I've kind of checked off on my list. But um, yeah, what about you, Tyler? What's going on? I know you had some big things happening recently as well. Yeah, so um, my word of the year is Paragon. And uh, basically, that is envisioning uh being a body of excellence, being a good example, um, leading by example and taking my own advice. And so I had last week I was down in Florida to compete in the Jiu Jitsu Pan American Championship. Um, and it was overall a really, really great experience. So, and I, I have my, my list of written goals here. I said, put in my best effort and control what I can control at my competitions, hopefully producing podium finishes at Pans and Worlds. So, um, unfortunately I lost my second match, which would have, if I had won the second match, I would have made it onto the podium. Um, but the girl I got in my second match, she ended up going on to win the gold. She was very good, uh, a lot of respect for her jujitsu and her as a competitor. Uh, I watched her win every match in a similar fashion to the one that she won my match and she just had her game plan and she executed it perfectly. Um, so I had a, a great experience winning my first match, felt great out there, physically felt great. Again, did a, a better job with my weight cut, didn't have to stress so much about, um, you know, going into drastic water cutting measures and stuff like that. Like I, I did, I did check off the box of controlling what I can control. And I think at the end of the day, uh, it's going to kind of lead into the conversation that we're having today. Like I technically was not better than the girl that I faced and I don't want to get on the podium if I'm not that good. Like, I just want to go back to the drawing board. I've got two months to work before uh, the world championship. And I, I know exactly what I need to work on, um, cleaning up some stuff. And so, yeah, that will be my focus for the next two months. Cool. Well, I'm sure, you know, that was disappointing to not have the finish you wanted, but like you're still kind of new to the game and like you're doing amazing. But again, it's, it's probably like horses. You just need to put time in to learn more of the technical aspect. And, um, I'm curious, would you, do you go back and watch videos? Like, do you kind of then watch your competitors and see how they, like what their style is or how do you prepare for that for next time? So I personally don't like watching like my competitors. Okay. Um, my coach, my coach does like Anthony will go watch my competitors just to see if he can like, uh, gear his coaching in any sort of way. But as someone that has also worked like on a sports psychology side with jujitsu athletes, if you go in worrying about what someone else is going to do, that clouds so much of the attention span you have for like yourself and your control. And so like my mindset is that my competitors should be watching my videos and be afraid of like what I'm going to do. Now, the one, the one thing that I 
I do feel like, you know, if I had known that the girl was going to do what she was going to do, she basically like jumped on me and like wrapped her legs around me and then choked me out in less than a minute. I feel like if I had known that that was her game, maybe I would have had like a second quicker reaction. Right. Um, so, you know, day of like maybe, you know, just kind of scoping that out a little bit more. But no, like I'll watch the videos you know, not only of me winning, but of me losing to, to get the details of, oh, I could have done this differently. But, um, I mean, I, I literally, I think I, I tore a ligament in my thumb trying to defend the choke. So like I did everything that I could. It was just a little bit of like, uh, technical stuff that I'll go back and work the technical side of my game versus preparing. Cause I could go and prepare for someone to pull guard on me and they could be really good at judo. Right. And then that I could get basically like thrown into the mat instead of like pulled into it. Um, and it just feels like all that preparation was for nothing. So I like really try to control the aspects of my game. Um, but there's a couple things like I'm going to try to get into some local tournaments just to play with like my competition strategy, because that I think is the difference between me and the girl that won. Like she had a really good competition strategy, whereas I just have like a pretty good jujitsu all around, like in different positions. But she like had the three things that she was going to do to win. And she did it in literally four of four matches to win gold. Um, and like she got her purple belt on the podium. She was a Canadian uh, team, national team triathlete yeah uh so i mean all, she was like, no again, slouch so much respect yeah. <laughs> no respect uh oh and she is actually she's actually a really cool person like i went on her instagram she like researches uh the study of movement and learning so it's it's actually so, some stuff that overlaps into sports psychology but more so on a biomechanical basis uh, so super, super interesting person. And uh, if I'm going to get beat by anyone, uh, definitely a great competitor to get beat by. Cool. Well, it sounds like you learned a lot and you're going to be like even more prepared for the next competition. So absolutely. With, absolutely. Yeah. With that being said, I think it's time for books, 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 books. Totally off on that one. Um. <laughs> We're going to have to work on that now that we'll be uh, recording far away for a while. But um, anyway, this... You know what? We could play around with, like, video. We could we... play around with, like, we could we could do, like, video chat instead of just call each other. And then we can record it and, like, put it on YouTube. We could do that. But a lot of podcasts do, like, have video as an option, too. So we'll look into that, everybody, so that we can get that yeah. books, books, books down pat. But... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th Good. this month, I actually didn't do a ton of reading. I mean, I read every night before I go to bed, but um, I've been tired. So I read like two or three pages and I'm out. Uh, but anyway, I finished up the book that I talked about last month, which is The Power of Intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I would really seriously recommend that book. Um, it just has some great insights of like how to um, work with intention and like kind of create the life that you want. So I like that book a lot. I won't talk about it anymore because I talked about it last month, but I am going to go a little rogue here, Tyler, and tell you about okay. a podcast that I've been listening to in the barn. Uh, okay. Not okay. not a book, All right. but a podcast. <laughs> Okay. Because people, you know, we love that they listen to us, but sometimes they need something else to listen to. So um, it's called Scamfluencers. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Okay. But it's it's basically about people with influence. So like influencers uh, or sometimes they talk about scams that happened before being an influencer was a thing. But anyways, it's about people that like, you know, have some power and fame and how they use that to scam other people. And it's like really interesting. And also like, how can people live with themselves pulling off these scams and like screwing people out of money and all of this. And also it's a bit of a cautionary tale, you know, and like, not to just blindly trust people that you don't really know. Um, 
But it's really interesting. Like I have binged these episodes. So um, yeah, usually I'm into kind of like the uh, personal growth podcast and I still like those, but I just needed something like, like very entertaining and this definitely checked that box. So you can find it anywhere you get your podcast. But Scamfluencers is my suggestion that is not a book. But um, there you go. Don't be mad at me, Tyler. <laughs> now you're good. Is there um, is there any episode that like stuck out to you that you're like, oh, like that's shocking or like something that like maybe you could have been a part of in another? I don't know. Well, like what what would be your highlight episode? Well, I'm currently listening to one. It's a two uh, part episode, and I'm on. I just finished the first part, but it's about this like yoga instructor that ends up scamming people and so like just because I'm so into yoga I'm like oh maybe I would have fallen for this um but the first part is very interesting slightly disturbing uh I haven't finished the second part but like to me that's something that I'm like oh maybe I don't know um yeah so there's also this episode about like a fake Saudi prince which was just mind-blowing that someone could like fake being a royal and get away with it and uh yeah so that's what I got wild wild yeah I'll have to look that one up um I listen to like a fun like on the along the lines of like yeah like usually I listen to my self-improvement podcast Mm -hmm. um I listen to one called this is actually happening and it's literally just about like these crazy stories that happen to people um and like uh like one was like a repo guy and he talks about like how he got shot on a job or um there's like one about like basically like having a bad psychedelic trip and like losing your sense of personality. He's got a bunch of stuff about like weird diseases or like you go in for uh surgery for like a mole removal and like all of a sudden you're almost dying of like rare rotting skin disease oh, and like just crazy stuff like that. Um I find it very interesting and like the people just like tell their tale. Um crazy. but yeah, so along along the lines that's my that would be my podcast recommendation. But I <laughs> I did read a book. Oh, good. Good uh, for you. Month. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, actually, I had. have you ever gone to, like, in Delaware, there's a big, like, secondhand bookstore called Second and Charles? I don't think so. Oh, my God. I, I'm sad that you don't live here anymore because, like, it's literally as big as a Barnes and Nobles, and it's, like, 20 minutes from our house, and it's, like, all, like, used books. So it's, like, thrift books in person oh. um, and, like, pretty reasonable prices. And they had some new books, too. Um, so I got a couple from there when I went. Um, and the one book that I got that was a new book was uh, called Reflection, A Twisted Tale by Elizabeth Lim. And so this author has, like, a whole series of basically taking a classic Disney story and putting a twist on it. And so naturally, I picked the Mulan one because Mulan is my favorite Disney princess, which actually (laughs) explains, like, thinking about it, I'm like, oh, wow, like, I really liked the Disney princess that impersonated a soldier and, like, fought in the war. Like, that maybe was foreshadowing for my taking to (laughs) jiu-jitsu. They're like, people always ask me, like, how did you get into jiu-jitsu? I'm like, oh, it's totally random. Like, I never knew anything about this. And I'm going to start saying... I, Mulan was my favorite Disney princess as a kid. I think that's going to be my new answer. I, I love that. Uh, but any, anyways, the the book like kind of takes it um, from like the point of battle instead of like Mulan getting cut uh, by the Hun. It's the leader Shang gets cut and like she ends up going into the underworld to save his life. And so it's this big like epic battle in the underworld. Um, and it was just fun to read and it's like kind of funny to just see and recognize characters and and like I said they have one for every single like basically Disney story so um if you're interested if Cinderella's your gal if Ariel's your gal they've got something for you that's such a cool concept I love that I may have to pick one up um yeah I've always been drawn to uh the Little Mermaid so Ariel uh and also Cinderella but those, yeah, those have been my my kind of girls. <laughs> so, 
There you go. Yeah. There you go. Not, not for me. Cinderella was never really my thing. I do like Ariel, but yeah. Mulan's definitely, definitely second to none for me. I get that. I get that for you. All right, Tyler. So you came up with this great idea for the episode. Um, you posted about it kind of um, on your Monday motivation this week, right? And I read it and I was like, that's great. And then it was funny because we talked the next day and you're like, I want to do this for the episode or maybe the same day. I don't remember. My timeline's a little off, but I love this uh, concept. So please let's dive in and you, you get the conversation rolling. All right. So we're going to talk about like the three aspects of sport that you can train. Um, so first, let's go over the three categories. Physical is our physical capability. We're talking uh, cardiovascular, flexibility, strength, all that stuff that's directly related to your physicality. Uh, technical aspects of sport are like, how do I ask a horse to pick up the trot? How do I half pass? Uh, how do I add a stride in a line? Uh, how do I see a distance? All those things fall under a technical category. And then mentally, we've got game planning, we've got emotional regulation, goal setting, mental toughness, self-talk, all this stuff that goes on in your head. And so as I kind of alluded to in our goal setting section, I thought about this a lot when I was at PANS because mentally I did not feel like I was in my own way at all. I felt very calm. I felt very uh, good. Going into my second match, like it, you, you get a lot of the nerves off after you've won one. And so you feel like you're just in there doing your thing, very focused, very calm, very collected. Physically, I do a lot of cross training outside of jujitsu. I go to open mats where I do jujitsu for two hours. Like there was plenty of gas left in the tank. Um, I, I was refueling properly with electrolytes and carbohydrates, fast acting, like all of that stuff. And technically, as I said, the girl was better than me. And, and it just got me to think like, Ha when we have sporting experiences, what percent of each of those things can help us uh, achieve greatness? And when we have a setback or a, you know, something doesn't go to plan, what elements should we be focusing on training? And so sometimes people have a bad show and they, and they go like, oh, I'm going to work harder or I'm going to go run because my cardio is off. And really the thing that got in the way was their mental block or, uh, you know, something emotionally or nerves got in the way. And so no amount of training physically and technically is going to help you get over your nerves to an extent, because again, these things all work into each other. Mentally, you need to be clear enough to access your technical information. Physically, you need to be strong enough to execute the technical information. But it's just a really interesting sort of conversation and, and interplay between the thing between these three things. Um, and Emily, I don't know if you want to shed some light on any personal experiences in the equestrian industry that you feel like sort of lead into these three topics just, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's been, you know, like a bit of an evolution in like my riding and how these three things um, have come into play in the past. You know, looking back as a younger rider, um, you know, maybe when I was starting to go at the upper levels of eventing, I don't even know exactly what the timeline would be, but let's just say when I started kind of going like intermediate, thinking about advanced, um, I... I think that there, to me, was maybe some mental stuff that I could have worked on that would have um, helped just, you know, as I moved up. Um, again, this is all kind of hindsight, but when you move up the levels, like, it's, it's kind of scary. And if you haven't, like, mentally prepared yourself and have a good plan for, like, keeping those fears at bay or at least understanding them and figuring out how to deal with that. 
like it can definitely impede your riding. Um, and then also, you know, I've always physically, you know, I felt quite fit my whole life, but then, um, a couple years ago, again, timelines a little, <laughs> little, uh, blurry, but when I had my back injury, let's just say it was probably 2018. Um, and I realized that I actually wasn't as strong and physically prepared as I needed to be, you know, come, come to find out like part of my back issue was my core wasn't strong enough. So like my back was having to work harder. And that's kind of when I uh, started to up my Pilates and my yoga game. And that's made a huge improvement. So, you know, that was kind of like a sign when my physical side wasn't working as well. And then um, technically, when I was trying to get my last qualification for being able to run a five-star, um, I shared this in the Between the Ears article that Tyler wrote a couple weeks ago. But basically, the first four long that I did with Barry was a success. Like, we rocked around Fair Hill. So I come into my second four long at Bromont, and, um, you know, I, I came in confident. I was feeling, like, good physically, mentally. Uh, but then when it came down to it, like technically I didn't have some of the skills for the harder questions and, uh, we got our first elimination, um, that we've, you know, it was the first E on our record. So that was kind of disappointing, especially when we were hoping to get our qualification. Uh, but it basically, the technical side that I was missing is having, uh, the right canner to a really technical question. So um, some of the narrows and corners, you know, like if I, I basically was moving up a little bit too much at the end and getting a bit flat and just creating an opening for Barry to like run out if I didn't get him on the exact line. And so then I had to go back to like, working on my canner and making sure that I can get the right canner early enough and then, you know, like ride forward to my line from there. Um, so yeah, I've kind of had to deal with all three of these aspects on my way to where I am now. And I'm sure I will have to continue dealing with them in some way. Um, but yeah, does that all kind of make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's like interesting because to me, um, you know, you identify a technical problem with something like an elimination and it's like, okay, like, yes, that is the thing that I'm going to work on. I'm going to get really, really strict about uh, my canner adjustability, making sure that I have these canners available to me. You have a back injury, right? And it's like, okay, like, let me be uh, very, very mindful of my back. Like, let me go get the PT. Let me do this, get stronger, strengthen the core, all of that stuff. And like, you know, mentally, I feel like you are very good about, uh, reading books on mindset and the, you know, champion's mind type stuff and, and sort of leading into the meditation and the visualization. But I would say for 90% of athletes, that pillar doesn't line up. So if they have a mistake, it's like, ah, oh, like, let me go work harder on these things that led up to the mistake. Let me work harder on um, making sure that I'm physically strong enough. But mentally, like, what is the effort there? What is the process of fixing that? And, you know, I'm not just saying this because this is what I do for a living. I'm saying this because I think it's where people fall short and I think it's where people who do end up in like sort of a setback loop, which is what I call for you've sort of made the mistake and you just kind of start to perpetuate it because our brains are hardwired to look for patterns and they like to kind of just put us in the same mistake after mistake after mistake is those people are trying to focus too hard on technical and physical things, which they need, 
but there's so much evidence for what the right mentality can help us overcome as well. And like I said before, if you don't have your mindset right, you're not going to be open to accessing the technical. Like one of the biggest ironies over sort of fixing like technical aspects of sport is like when we focus on what we're doing it can break down the way that that movement is processed in our brains. And so uh, the best example that I use is if you are going to go walk down a set of stairs, you don't think I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. Like you just go down the stairs. It happens. But if I stand at the top of the stairs next to you and say, what if you what if you fall? What if you fall down these stairs right now? you create a hesitancy that slows you down and causes mistakes because you're bringing awareness to what you're doing. And similarly, we talk about flow states, we talk about peak performance. Peak performance isn't, I'm thinking about where my fingers are, I'm thinking about where my elbows are, I'm thinking about where my feet are. It's, I am in the zone and things are just happening. There is a m- amount of like, lack of awareness that is brought to a flow state, right? Like it's it's just the merging of action and awareness is actually what one of the dimensions of flow is uh, in the scientific literature. So what that means is we're not going in and technically breaking down our performance. So if you if you just have the technical, if you just have the, I need to focus on this, I need to focus on this, you limit a lot of what you can do. And I don't know if that sort of tracks with any of your experiences, Emily, of like, you know, when you're practicing something, obviously, and and working towards getting that canner, you're thinking very specifically about it. But on course, does it just happen or how would you describe what happens in your mind like in those best courses that you've had? Yeah, I think the less you think about it, (laughs) the better, you know, Um, but I will say it's because you put in all the hours to practice the physical and the technical that then you can kind of like get out of your head a little bit. You know, there's the... um, it's like you have to do something enough so that then you don't have to think about how to do it. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, the best courses are because I've done that level so much. And, um, you know, like I understand the question that I don't have to, again, get into like the nitty gritty and think about it. It just kind of happens because of all the practice that I put in before, beforehand, Um, and then, but to your point, kind of, you have to work on your mental game so that you understand that if you have done all the work, like you don't need to think about it and then you can get out of your head. Right. And I, and I think to, to your point, like something that you also talked about in the between the ears article was, you know, sort of that awkward spot you had into the water where you, where you almost took like a a tip. There was not time in that moment for you to think like, oh, you know, like put your heels down, like sit in this. Like you were just like, stay on, right? Like a very simple, like stay on. I don't want to fall. I don't want to get wet right now. I don't want to fall off. Like stay on. And mental toughness is what was at an effect in that. It wasn't like, oh, like what technically is going to keep me in the saddle um, yes, there's physical aspects going on, there's technical aspects, but your mentality of I'm not fucking going in the water yeah. is what sort of helped that moment. And like, hey, like I came all the way here, I'm not giving this up right now. And so when that's lacking, none of it comes together. Um, and there's so there's so many instances. Uh, David Goggins, uh, who uh, I have mixed feelings about all the time because he's got like the hardcore Navy mentality. He's like, if you're fat, you should just stand in the mirror and tell yourself that you're fat. And like all this sort of like maybe not so positive psychology <laughs> yeah. stuff. But he he does he is very inspirational and he does have interesting points to what he makes. And he talks about how 
our brain has a governor similar to like a car has a governor. So if a car can go 130 miles an hour, the governor's not going to let it over 90. And so because as a species, we're hardwired to protect ourselves, to conserve energy, physically, we don't push ourselves to 100%. Physically, we limit ourselves because we're trying to protect it. So it's using the mentality to overcome those barriers and say, I can go do something hard, even when I'm tired, even when, you know, physically I'm worn out, maybe even mentally I'm worn out. I have to push past that barrier to overcome a challenge in front of me. And that is, again, where if you don't have the training, if you don't have the awareness, if you haven't set goals in each one of these areas and you're just like, oh, I just really need to work on, you know, making sure that my technical, like I'm really working on my shoulders back. I feel like that's that's one thing that people always work on in technical aspect is their position. I'm just going to really fix this thing in my position they let go of so many other aspects that they need to be focusing on to be successful. And so finding a way to blend those three things by doing something like setting a goal for the physical, the mental, and the technical so that you have the opportunity to let it happen. And I think it's important that you highlighted that, Emily, because it's like posting the trot. When you're first posting the trot, you do have to tell yourself up, down, up, down, up, down every stride you get to the point where you don't think about going up and down because it's just part of you. It's funny to think that you have that same phenomenon for, let's say, a skinny two strides to a quarter to a ditch and wall or whatever crazy stuff you do on the five star. It's the same thing as I don't think about posting the trot anymore because you have the practice, because you have that sort of skill in there. For sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think spot on. I don't really have any more to add to that, but um, was there any other points you wanted to touch on? Yeah, just uh, not, you know, again, I'm, I feel like a little bit like talking in circles, but I, I think it's an important thing for people to ponder and sort of just pull out their own experiences and have some reflection um, and, and do some work on that. Um, I think the the other two quick conversations that we can have is um, how this does tie into our pillars, right? Uh, obviously, fitness is directly related to the physical aspect of sport, but nutrition can also affect how we are physically as well, right? If mm -hmm. you are not fueled properly, if you are not getting the right nutrients before your ride, you could be the most physically fit person in the world. But if you fast for three days, you're not going to have the energy to go run a marathon like that. That's just like the science behind, you know, those things working together. Um Nutrition can also affect us mentally, too, and I, I've talked about that before in terms of having celiac disease and how much a nutrient uh, deficiency changed the way that I thought about things, changed uh, my anxiety levels and everything like that. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of interesting how the pillars that we usually talk about can also affect these phenomenon um, community. I would say ties into mental health a lot. You know, if you don't have a good community behind you, um, your mental health might be impacted. And if your mental health is impacted, your mental clarity is impacted. And if your mental clarity in, is impacted, you're not going to be able to execute things physically or technically. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to talk about that, you know, maybe you could even shed some light on is having this sort of fourth dimension of a horse, right? No, most sports don't have a living being creature that is part of the sport. And so how can that throw things out of whack? Like, you know, going into the Aiken showcase, I'm sure you were prepared physically, mentally, and technically. I know you work hard on your dressage. I know you work hard on your physical fitness. I know you have good mindsets going into these big things. Uh, 
and and Barry was just wild there. Like, is there any <laughs> amount of technical knowledge that you could have executed to make it Barry not not crazy? I don't necessarily think that yeah, could have. Yeah, I, I mean that I was mean, just I I did everything I could, you know, and I'm the first person to take blame. Um, but yeah, he was just feral, and uh, maybe I could have competed him more before that because like he hadn't been in a. He hadn't done a dressage test since Burley. Like I had, you know, practiced at home and I took him to Bruce's field for one of their schooling days, but it's not the same as like being in a big arena with atmosphere. And so, I mean, maybe that's where I could have put more time, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, he has his own mind and personality and yeah that's definitely a fourth dimension that you have to consider when you're doing equestrian sports yeah and like soundness to me too right like you know because I I always think about these sort of concepts in terms of how am I setting my goals and how am I reflecting right am I setting my goals properly am I working on the right things. And so you can be setting your goals properly, you can be working on the right things, and your horse can come up lame and you cannot get to go to your show. And so that's where our sport just adds this level of difficulty, adds this level of challenge. But again, just in general, being able to be aware of, okay, I hit a road bump, I made a mistake, what caused it what is the interplay going on and how can i approach <clears throat> sorry how can i approach this more tactically being aware of what i know instead of saying oh i'm just gonna go work harder because the other sort of barrier to intervention there is if you only have one horse and your belief is that you just need to work harder on those technical things well, if that looks like to you riding and you've got an hour a day to ride, you're never going to level up in the ways that you want to. So if you can approach it differently and say, yeah, I made a mistake. Here's the stuff that I can do outside of the saddle to also get better. Here's the aspects of mentality that I can work on. Here's the aspects of my physicality that I can work on. And here's a different a way that I can approach the technical information and the technical knowledge that's not just got to get back in the saddle and grind it out. You're going to find better solutions for performance problems. A hundred percent. So great yeah i think that kind of puts a bow on that unless you have anything else you wanted to add i don't i think you you knocked that one out of the park and uh you know if anyone needs help on the mental side of things you know who to call tyler's your girl oh yeah definitely open for some new clients i know the sun is starting to shine and and you know those of us that have been stuck up north might be preparing for some of our first horse shows of the year, finally. Um, you know, I always say, too, like, mental work and mental toughness doesn't need to be within the scope of horse showing. Um, definitely lots of access and opportunity for athletes that are just trying to overcome general fears uh, or just peak performance stuff. But uh, I love working with athletes that are also, you know, have a goal in mind and are trying to get to that goal because focusing too much on a goal can cause a lot of anxiety, can cause a lot of emotions, can cause a lot of feelings to come up. So being able to work with those athletes uh, really is something that I enjoy. Yeah. And you're fantastic at it. So thank you. You're welcome. You. All right. I think it's well, time for our tips of the month. Yes. What is your training tip of the month, Emily? Okay. There's a chance I may have shared this last year, but it's a good one. So I'm going to share it again. And maybe I haven't. And then it's, you know, fresh, fresh information for you all. But uh, my training tip is to do your slow canners over pulls, cavalettis, and small jumps. So like if you're, this is really only applicable if you're, you know, going at a level that um, requires more fitness work. 
Um, but basically, as you're you're trying to build fitness for your horse um, on cross country, you should incorporate slow canners once a week. Um, and if anyone's interested in like, you know, at what level and what a what amount you should do, like I'm happy to have that conversation and you know guide you through a, a message or something. But uh, basically. With Barry, I, I've i been doing, like now I'm doing like three five-minute canners, and they're just slow canners. Um, and then I also try to do a gallop when I can. The problem in Aiken is like we don't have that many gallops. Um, and so I'm trying to get creative of like how I can build fitness even without uh, a proper like hill gallop. So... I started this last year and it seemed to work for him. When I do my slow canners, I'll just incorporate poles, cavalettis, and small jumps. So I'll, um, like this past weekend, I set some things up at the new farm and just went over them uh, in no particular order. I just was like canner and kind of like pick up some things and it just makes the horse have to use themselves and like use their jumping muscles without exerting themselves a whole lot but it also helps a bit more with like the cardio aspect you know it's kind of like when you're uh like a human's working out you know and like if you do hit workouts jumping can be like can kind of increase uh your the cardio aspect of it so it's kind of similar in my mind again like I just started doing this last year and it seemed to work, but, um, it's a great way to help with the horse's fitness without putting a lot of stress on them. And also it's helpful in just getting more comfortable with your horse's stride and working on your eye again at like a very low level. So, you know, if you are canning around and you like miss to a cavaletti or a pole or a small jump, like it's not catastrophic. You can just come back around and like work on it, find your canner again, kind of touching on that technical aspect, getting really comfortable with like the canners you have available and how quickly you have them available. So that has been a super useful part of my training practice and uh, Barry's pretty fit. So I think it's working. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I, I think um, one thing to highlight, too, about just, you know, not having the gallop opportunities in Aiken. I know um, Emma always talks about how the walk is actually the most important mm -hmm. to, like, get the fitness up for the gallop. Like, especially, like, you know, I, I know there's, again, not many hills, but you do have small inclines and stuff like that because the walk is a four-beat gate and the gallop is a four-beat gate. So, if you're able to like do a long walk every day, you're going to work the same muscles that the horses like work in the gallop just by walking. Um, so another, uh, another interesting take on that as well. Yeah. And I have um, been incorporating that a lot. There are, there are quite a few hills here in Bridal Creek. Um, so that's been nice. Like hacking, I can actually get a lot of uh, terrain it's just there. It's not long enough for a gallop. So I think that's a great point that you bring up. If you don't have access to like a gallop hill, if you have just changes of terrain and you walk up and down it, you're going to get some of the same benefits. So thanks for pointing that out. Um, what is your grooming tip of the month? So my grooming tip of the month is going to be a horse show specific tip. Um, Basically, uh, I've been there, done that. Uh, you are about to tack up a horse for a show. You've got your white saddle pad ready. You're putting it on. Maybe it has a blemish on it. Maybe you didn't realize how dirty your hands were before you grabbed it and you accidentally smudged a little piece of dirt on the outside. Um, for those like little scuffy, like just um, spot problems, using like an easy out, like green spot remover or easy out shampoo on the saddle pad actually works really, really well. So you just have to be really careful when you're applying it. Um, I do like a little bit of water and you have to make sure 
you have a clean sponge or a clean rag, which I know is sometimes few and far between in the horse world, um, just so you don't make that spot worse. I don't want anyone to come back and say, Tyler, I did this and like the spot just got bigger. Like you have to be very precise with a very clean sponge. But in a pinch, you got that one saddle pad and it's got a big, ugly like dirt mark because you put your dirty groom's fingers on it. Um, you can use green spot remover and it will work. That's a great tip. And um, if I can just add a little bit to that, have you, since I have a white horse, I uh, have had to figure out how to keep things white. But the Shapley's has this like, it's almost a spray paint for horses and they have this white spray. And that also, I, I've never used it on a saddle pad, but I feel like if you were really in a pinch, like you could do that and it would work. Um, cause I, that white paint, it's not paint, but you know what it, do you know what I'm talking about? The product it's yeah, 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 yeah. They, uh, I forget what it's called, but it, yeah, it's like this spray and they have, um, they have black and white and brown. Mm -hmm. We actually use that all the time for tails. Yeah. So if you have like a tail that's like sun bleached, like obviously white tails, it works really well too. But even if you have a black tail that got like sun bleached in the summer, if you don't have time to dye it, or if it's just like a lower level horse and you're like, I'm not going to dye this horse's tail, just putting a little bit of that spray in the tail covers up the ugly brown streaks. Yeah. So Shapley's for the win on that. We'll have to figure out what it's called. I have some in my trailer. Maybe I'll take a picture and post that at some point, but perfect. Perfect. Great tips. Awesome. Okay. So what's, what's next? What's going on for the whole um, equestrian? We've got some clinics in the works. So, uh, in the last couple episodes, we've been advertising dates. Uh, we do have some of those dates available still, but we're in contact with like several barns. Um, so if you're still interested and you're not already in contact with us, please feel free to reach out. We do have weekends available. Um, obviously Emily, with her new farm and me with my new gym, like travel has to really be uh, organized and planned ahead for us. So the quicker that you can get in for those clinics, uh, the, the more likely we'll actually be able to have it happen. We have so much fun doing them. And I think it's a really unique opportunity to be able to work on your fitness, your mindset, community, and your technical aspects of riding so I mean we we literally base our clinics off of kind of the conversation we had today like are you checking off your physical mental mental and technical boxes um so we would love to have you have us out for that great sales pitch Tyler that was fantastic thank you thank you <laughs> so we hope that this episode helped you explore your ride from multiple angles and also just makes you think about ways that you can be more successful. Um, be sure to find us on Facebook uh, at The Whole Equestrian, Instagram at The Whole Equestrian. Um, if you like our content, please engage with it on social media. We love hearing from our listeners. It's one of those things that keeps the wind in our sails, keeps us going. Um, I, I've seen some really awesome posts on the whole equestrian community lately. So keep it up. Uh, if you go to a horse show, if you take any of our actionable advice, uh, take a picture and, and tell us all about it. Yeah, we. it's really fun to to connect with you guys on social media. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. And in the meantime, enjoy the ride. <laughs>